Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. All right, well, I want to jump right in, if that's okay with you. Uh, No catchy intro today. Let's just get into it, all right? Are we feeling good? Are we ready? All right, John 3, if you're not already there, turn your Bibles. Uh, I'll be reading out of the net. But we are making a nice uh, stroll through the book of John. This is, I think, the the sixth week. We'll continue up until we practice Holy Week as a church, uh, which is in, I think, March or April, Easter, and uh, be going through the story of John's account of Jesus. And so we spent the first few weeks talking about the prologue, which is this kind of overarching intro of the book of John. And uh, really, John's main priority is just to let us know that Jesus is the word. And when we use the word word, what we're meaning is the audible uh, life and words of God. And was provocative at the time with Jewish people knowing God is Yahweh, the one true God, who is this other God, right? And John's putting the pieces together to his listeners. And so the first few weeks kind of overview that idea of him being word, the audible words of God, but also flesh, being human. And then John now shares the human experience of Jesus. And one cool thing about John, loves numbers, loves symbolism, very poetic. And so he has seven signs or miracles, we can call them, and then seven discourses or conversations that he highlights in the entire book of John. And those seven, meaning the number of perfection, culminate in the resurrection of Jesus. And so a couple weeks ago, we did the first sign, which was uh, turning water into wine. Great party trick that Jesus did that um, was just showing the inauguration of his ministry, uh, that the new wine is something much greater, which was, was the Jewish law turning into uh, the heart of Jesus and the gospel. And then last week, uh, or last week we talked about a conversation between a man, uh, a high-level Pharisee named Nicodemus, and he was having some hard questions uh, because at the end of the day, a lot of us uh, have a hard time jumping from the physical reality that we see and understanding the spiritual realm in regards to all of that. And so Jesus' conversation with him was him discipling Nicodemus out of the human brokenness and physical world into a spiritual reality, as he calls Nicodemus to having to be born from above uh, in order to be a part of the kingdom. And so we parse through that. And so today we're kind of uh, double downing on that idea. And John loves the idea of belief, life. That is his agenda is eternal life in Christ for the people listening. And uh, so today we bring in... uh, Another John who we've talked a little bit about, it's kind of confusing, but we have John, the gospel writer, who we believe to be, son of Zebedee, one of the 12 disciples. We also have John the Baptist, who is a different John. And uh, John the Baptist's job was basically to go out on farmland and till up the soil and loosen it so that when Jesus comes in to plant seeds of the gospel, the good news, that those would be able to come and grow um, in, a, in a very well, um, less crazy manner, although we know the story to still be kind of crazy. Uh, but so John the Baptist was baptizing all throughout some different areas of wilderness and the Judean region, and his baptisms were allowing people to understand the repentance of their sin, which to a religious leader at that time, if you're Jewish, was ridiculous because you had policies and protocols and laws on how to do that in the temple and how to do that a couple times a year and all these cleanliness laws and ceremonial washing laws, which leads us then to verse 22 where they are having a debate on this type of topic. So verse 22 says, After this, this is after the conversation with uh, Nico at night, uh, Jesus and his disciples came into Judean territory, and there he spent time with them and was baptizing. 
John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming to him and being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. So we got a little bit going on here. Uh, I don't know about you, but you just thought when you woke up this morning, man, I'd love to see a map. So we're going to do that. And uh, we're going to show you once again the uh, area here. This is the best map I can come up with with a giant red circle. Jesus is in the Passover in Jerusalem. All the Jews gather to Jerusalem to have this festival. It's a massive party. Though it is sad and mourning sin, it is a celebration of sin being atoned for by the uh, sacrifice. And it's basically like your, your buddy smokes some brisket. You all come over to his house, and you stay there for a few days and have a good time. This is what's happening. They leave that party now, and they go into what's called the wilderness of Judea. Now, the confusing part is Jerusalem is in Judea. So it's like saying you were in Columbus, but you're traveling in Ohio. You're still in Ohio regardless, right? But there's the capital, and then there's other cities. And so as they travel up the Jordan River, which is that red line down the middle of the valley, uh, they are just encountering you know, different people. And this is basically a desert. So when they say there was water and they were baptizing, this isn't like, oh, there's water everywhere. We'll just find a retention pond by the apartment complex, right? Like they are, there's not a lot of water. So when they find it, they use it. And this is a good example of what it could look like. It's kind of like a picturesque oasis, right? A lot of brown in the valley, but there's these pools and waters. And the word Anon, this is Anon near Salim. Salim was a city. Anon actually just means well or spring. So it's possible that the meaning of it was a spring near Salim, not that there was like one specific one, but there could be several. Now, if you look on Google Maps in modern day, there's just like retention ponds everywhere. So it's hard to know exactly where it was, but they have some ideas. Uh, but this is kind of what you're thinking about. So John the Baptist baptizing something like this. Jesus probably uh, not near him in another area baptizing. And they're baptizing for the, the symbolic understanding of the washing of your sins. So this leads us then to a dispute in verse 25. became... Uh, happening between John's disciples, John the Baptist, and a certain Jew concerning ceremonial washing. Now, they're arguing because John's disciples were Jewish followers but had this sort of bent in John's ministry of preparing the way for Jesus, so it created controversy. And uh, they get, they, uh, he talks to these disciples. The disciples go to John, and they say to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, the one who was with you on the other side of the Jordan River, about whom you testified, see he is baptizing and everyone is flocking to him. I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give it away right here. What they're what they're saying is they're getting nervous uh, because their ministry is going downhill, and Jesus' ministry, everyone like he's got the new church plant down the road, and everyone's going because they got fog and lasers and it's sweet. And then some people from our church come back and they're like, hey, they got log, they got, I, got fog, I got fog and lasers over there. And I'm like, shoot, you know, what are we, that, they're basically like, what are you going to do about it? That's what they're saying. Uh, and so, you, you know, you can imagine that as a leader, as John has his followers, uh, these type of burdens become prevalent in leadership. And what I mean by that is if you lead any area, your family, your job, whatever, right, uh, people come to you with these burdens that is essentially your job, right, to, bur- to, 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 to handle and you have to decide in that moment of leadership what you're going to do and how you're going to respond. And that decision and that response and that reaction affects everyone that you're leading. That's just how that works. And so what's happening is these disciples are like, man, we followed this John guy. We took a bit of what would look like to the religious leaders, a perversion from the Orthodox Jewish faith. And we're doing this thing. And now everyone's leaving what we're doing for this other guy. Now, some scholars would say that these disciples had seen John in John 1 say, look, it's the Christ, like, and two disciples follow him. Others would say those disciples maybe weren't there, so they, did, they didn't know that John had already kind of said, I'm done, this guy is the guy. 
Um, but regardless, he was still baptizing people that were coming and going on the path in the, near the Jordan River. And so they're like, hey, what do we do about this? What are you going to do about this? The ministry that you started is failing or fading, and this other guy's got all these people. And what it is is it's a moment of insecurity. It's a moment of jealousy. And the leader, John the Baptist, has to decide how he's going to handle this. And I would actually argue that the next few verses and how we walk through this is going to be an incredibly cool formula for how you can handle insecurity and jealousy in today. It's, it's actually really fascinating when we look into it, and I'll kind of explain it at the end. Verse 27, John's first initial answer is incredibly large, like it's not very uh, tangible or practical. He replies, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. <laughs> Which is basically what Jesus said to Nicodemus the night before, where he was like, hey, everything must come from above. And Nicodemus is so confused. And Jesus is like, look, all good things come from the Father who gives authority to me, then is passed down through heaven, right? This idea of heaven, God's presence, making good. And John says the same thing, like, hey, all the good stuff, God's in charge. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. And that's just the bare truth before we even get into my role in all of this. And so he starts off really like large, big picture, big vision. And then he's, he, he narrows it down and he says, you, you yourselves can testify. So he's told them, like, I've said this, whether they were there or not, doesn't matter. But that I've said, I'm not the Christ, but rather I have been sent before him. And so what you have here is John is reaffirming his calling and his ministry to his, his disciples, you know, you've maybe experienced this with friendships or work or whatever, right, where you're leading a certain way and people don't like it and they come to you and let's just say you're a great humble leader and you take what they have to say and you take it serious and you stew on it and you pray through it and then you have this like tension where you're like, man, are they right? Like, am I veering off course? Am I heading the wrong way? Can we do it better this way? And you start to just feel insecure, right? Or they're doing it that way. Why don't we go figure out what to do, copy, slander, attack, whatever. How, we, how are we going to lower that and then get back up to where we are, right? Our attendance numbers are not looking good. And we have these moments where this, this burden is brought to us and we have the ability to decide what we do about it. But in that moment, I'm sure there's a sense of immediate insecurity. of Like, man, this, is, like, this ministry is going down. And, you know, we don't know how much John knows about his actual ending of death, but it's not going to be good. And he knows it's going to end his ministry. And which is why John mentions that he has not been arrested yet, because John's telling you, I know what happens to John, but it's not relevant to my story. And he's just navigating this tension. And he's basically throwing this back at them, and he's saying, you know, God in charge of everything, everything good comes from heaven, right? And he's saying, you've heard me say, this is what I'm doing that I am not the Christ, right? I am to pave the way for the one before, to be the one before for Jesus. And if they don't agree with that, then they're missing their teacher. But he's just basically reassuring them, this is our calling when moments are tough. And, you know, I mean, how many of us is that applicable? Like, when moments are really, really tough, we start to question. We may question God's existence, but we might just question more little things that eat at us. Like, is God really good if these things happen, right? Or um, does God really care for me? And am I, is he really generous when I'm being generous, but I'm not seeing results? Or why is God, you know, doing these things? Why is he taking this long? Why is he withholding relationship with me? Why is he causing, like, all these things. In these moments, we have the ability uh, to basically let our insecurity drive us to cause a crazy cycle, which is the culture and world that we live in thanks to social media. Or we can, we can actually shift and respond in the way that John does. So like I said, large claim about who God is, more refined claim about who John the Baptist is and who he isn't, 
And then he ends with, uh, with this verse 29 and 30, which 30 is probably the most famous verse people know him for. He says, the one who has a bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Then this is my joy, and it is complete. He must become more important while I become less important. John brings in a great old wedding illustration. We love a good wedding, right? And Jesus had already been in a wedding, talked about how the, the culmination of relationship with him is a wedding. That's what we see in Revelation. That's what we look forward to. The cool thing is that we don't just have a wedding in heaven. We have a wedding now with our spirit in our hearts of, of God marrying us, being in an intimate relationship with us, and loving us as an orphan and as someone who doesn't deserve it. And John is using this wedding illustration because Jesus uses this terminology of him basically being the groom. Uh, and it's confusing in the Bible because it uses the phrase bridegroom. We just, in America, we just shorten it to groom. So groom and bride, because bride and bridegroom is too confusing. So basically he's saying, look, uh, if you're a groom, you have a bride somewhere. Okay, so he's saying, look, if you're, if you're Jesus, I'm giving you the answer. If you're Jesus and he has a bride, a.k.a. his followers, the church, those who believe in him and have eternal life, right? And they're getting married. I am just a friend of the bridegroom. Now, a picture of this. Let's say that you were asked to be someone's best man or maid of honor. The wedding's coming up, and you're standing beside them, and you're like, you know, you're, you're like, you've had some trouble because you were best friends with them. They start hanging out with you less. You know that you're not going to live together anymore. Like, they're moving out, and you're, you know, you know your relationship's not going to be the same, and you're just feeling insecure. And uh, they're up here, and they're, they're going to, they wrote their own vows. They're beautiful. And, uh, and I'll just use, I'm a guy, I'll just, I'm the best man. And, and the groom is receiving the words from the bride. The bride has this beautiful vows that she's written. And, and John is basically saying, you don't go up in front of the bride and say, get out of here, I want to give the groom my vows. Right? Uh, that's a great way to ruin a wedding. So you can try that. But uh, typically, you don't do that. But you might feel that inside. You feel this like insecurity, like, man, our relationship's never going to be the same. And it will not be. And that's okay. But you, you mourn, you lament, you feel insecure about the reality of things changing. And John the Baptist is saying, it's not my role, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not getting in between that. I know where my role is. My role is to stand behind Jesus, the groom. And, and what does he do? He says, I stand by, I listen for him, and I rejoice greatly when I hear his voice. Basically saying the union of our relationship, like, my whole life is waiting for the voice of Jesus to call me to train me, to equip me, right, to give me the security that I need. And then what, is, what does he get out of that? This is my joy, and it's complete. Now, complete is a holistic idea of maturity. It can also mean chronologically, because this is in John, the writers, talking about John the Baptist. This is his last words, and then he just disappears from the story, which through the other Gospels, in prison and beheaded. So he's, it could be complete as in, like, my mission's complete, but it could just be complete of, like, I have everything I need. I have wholeness, shalom, maturity, and he's saying, this is my joy. My joy is to stand here and not to stand there. My joy is to stand here and not to compare, right, or be jealous. And his disciples are the other not-as-good best men, right? And they're like, shouldn't you be over there? And he's like, this is, where I, this is where I live. This is where I need to be. This is where joy comes from, is being content with where I am. And so what he's doing, hey, God is this, right? He says, everything good comes from him. And then he says, hey, uh, you know, you, you heard me say it, this is who I am and this is who I am not. And then the third piece that he's, he's weaving in here is this is my calling and this is my place. This goes from holistic John to his calling, his telos, his end goal, his place. And he's just not moving. He's just firm in where he's supposed to be. 
And so that's where he then leads with the most famous statement that we know him for. He says, he must, Jesus, he must become more important while I become less important. Your translation might say, he must grow and I must diminish, which is probably the most accurate for the Greek, uh, or he, may, he becomes more and I become less. Now, writing-wise, that certainly happens because in about two verses he doesn't talk again, uh, and then he eventually gets imprisoned and beheaded. But his ability to, to say that I imagine that there's part of him that is like, gosh, I wish that weren't the case. You know what I mean? Imagine if you start a company with your buddy and it's just getting to the point where you're like, I just like, it's, 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 it's exceeding my ability. And you're like, I gotta, I gotta step away for the sake of the company. And so what, you, what do you do? If you're insecure, you hire a dud. It will take your job that you can make fun of from everyone else. So that way, whenever you leave, you feel more loved than the dud who can't do your job as good as you, right? That's the insecure way to do it. Or you complain, or you whatever, or you don't quit, and you like, just keep trying to do what you're not supposed to do. Or if you're secure, you hire a just person who is far better than you, far greater at this space, and you release them, and you lose friends for it because you're like, this guy's awesome. I want you to go hang out with him. I want you to learn from him. I, like I'm transitioning out. I want you to love him because if when I leave, you love me more than you love him, I've failed because his job is staying here and mine is not. Now, that's a pretty secure person who can do that. You should see this happen in the church world. It doesn't usually go very well uh, when pastors transition and things like that. But it, it is that, that is the heart of John and what he's wrestling with. Now, just because he's saying it doesn't mean he doesn't have some insecurities. But his leadership response is one of, I think, faith and trust that he might not even fully believe in his heart, but he knows is the truth. And so what he's proving to us here is that there's these moments of insecurity that we still might be struggling with. And we know John still struggles because in the other accounts, he sends his disciples when he's in jail off to Jesus, and they're basically like, hey, are you sure you're the Messiah? John's not sure, you know? <laughs> he's sitting in prison. He's like, I don't know. Maybe I did it all wrong. Maybe this isn't right. And so he sends his disciples, and Jesus is like, yes, I'm it. I'm paraphrasing, but yes, I'm the one. So he even has moments of insecurity, but his leadership and his, his ability to just trust in the process becomes a mantra for us as followers of Jesus that we can absolutely emulate. When we follow Jesus, we take up our cross. We become less. We become uh, less significant, less rich, less powerful, uh, less loved in some ways from people to be more in relationship, allowing Jesus to become bigger, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives. And so that's what John is, is, is doing here. And then he closes out with a few verses that cap off the severity of the truth of what he's saying. Basically, it's reaffirming the reality of what he's saying. He says in verse 31, The one who comes from above is superior to all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. He's like, I'm just of the earth. And speak about earthly things. But the one who comes from heaven is superior to all. All good things. Remember, come from heaven. Jesus coming from heaven, superior to all. He testifies about what he has seen and heard. That's Jesus. But no one accepts his testimony. Talking about the, the ability for people to struggle. We've seen that. People have not been acknowledging Jesus. But the one who has accepted his testimony has confirmed clearly that God is what? Truthful. The things that I'm dealing with that I'm saying about to you guys about God and who I am and who I'm not and what my calling is, right, is it needs to be placed in light of God as truth and God as loving and Jesus as the words that he says are truth and will happen and are what he has to trust in. And so he says, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God and for he does not give the Spirit sparingly. He's like, look, trust me, Jesus is better. A lot of Holy Spirit on that guy. 
Like, definitely would go follow him, right? Not me. I'm nothing special. Uh, and, and then in verse 35, 36, he says, For the Father loves the Son. He has placed all things under his authority. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Once again, John, the writer, loves to weave in the whole life-death dichotomy. And this time, not in relation to Nicodemus being born from above, right, understanding that, but more so in the stability and security of our status and our identity as sons and daughters of Jesus. And when he brings it to close, what he's doing is he is essentially teaching and proving as a rabbi, his disciples, a way to, to engage uh, in a healthy, biblical way, through jealousy, through insecurity, right? But then, after doing those steps, he, he brings it all into understanding the gospel in light of all of that. Here is why these things are true. Because I believe this about the truth of the gospel, that God is in control, even if it doesn't look like it. And I choose to believe that, right? I have, I have four kind of R's. I'm not a big alliteration guy, but it just worked out this week, so you can be happy. Uh, but the first one is that you... Uh, reaffirm who God is. So it's something you maybe already know, but you have to just reaffirm to the sake that you believe it. And maybe you don't believe it, but you're still like, I'm just going to put this into practice, hoping that my hands hits my heart and my head. Uh, And he's in control. That's what verse 27 is. The next part, you remind yourself, okay, of who you are. And like I said, also who you aren't. Some of you have to remind yourself who you aren't. Some of you are very good at reminding yourself who you aren't to the point of guilt and self-deprecation and shame, right? But just knowing who you are and who you aren't, you are a son or a daughter of the Lord. And that, that means far greater than your job, your money, your looks, your health, all those things, right? Then from that, you, you narrow it down into your calling. So like everybody has different callings, but we all have baseline callings of followers of Jesus that, that are a part of what it means to follow Jesus our rabbi. They're just rules. The rules sound negative, but they're rules that we subscribe to when we surrender our lives to Jesus. And some of those in line with what John's doing, but some of them John knew were this vocational calling of his kind of prophetic voice for Jesus. So we remind ourselves of what is our telos, what is our end goal? You always have the end goal in mind. What is the point of what I'm doing? And then the last thing is you repeat, like a good hair wash shampoo, right? You got to repeat or it won't get all the dirt out, right? Anybody here do that or no? Is that just like a weird thing they put on bottles to sell more shampoo? Probably that. Repeat. You keep doing it over and over again because you don't Like, the first time doesn't always work. The 50th time doesn't always work, but it becomes a part of your body. That's why all the Jewish, you know, um, culture had that type of bodily engagement because they believe that this engagement of my body will eventually uh, help and inform my mind and my heart to believe this to be true. It's why they put little rolls of scripture on their wrists and their forehead. That's why they, you know, wore certain things. Like, all this stuff was to inundate themselves in this belief to be true. And in the same way, John is telling his disciples, this is how I want you to do this. And he wraps it all up with this reality of the gospel. And so as we transition here from this story and we kind of internalize this, we always have a time of what we call formation, which is four things we do every Sunday that help you become formed in the image of Christ. And, uh, and so this reflection is a part of that. Uh, we also have prayer. There's people in the back who'd love to pray for you about anything and everything, completely anonymous if you want it to be. I just want to encourage you in what God's calling you into and pray for you. We also have the bread in the cup in the front and the back, grape juice, gluten-free bread, and you can partake in that for those who follow Jesus and want to remind themselves of the symbol of Jesus' body and blood being spilled for us. Uh, and then we also have a box in the back 
we call the bringing box, um, because giving would imply that you own something, but we don't own anything. It's all God's. So we bring back uh, to him a portion of what is his as worship, obedience, and faith. So you can do that there or online as well. And then the last, like I said, refining in on reflection, we always give you this space. And so what I'd like you to do, honestly, is think of a, a moment of insecurity, a pattern of insecurity or jealousy, because those two kind of go hand in hand. Jealousy is rooted out of insecurity. And I want you to just go through the steps uh, in this time. And uh, it might feel like you're just reading a worksheet and doing it and checking out the boxes, but I promise you that John is not a fool here. He ended well. And that if for us to just embody this pattern is going to really free us from insecurity. Because here's your options, okay? You can do this, and it might not work right away, or it might just be an act of faithfulness that you're hoping the Spirit will do work in, which He will. Or you can not do it. You can, do, can you bring up the other four again? You can do the exact opposite. Let me tell you how this one goes. So you, uh, you, you don't affirm who God is, and you, and you distrust Him, and you start to believe lies about who God is. Uh, and how he's not in control and how you need to be in control of all things, whether it's government, whether it's your house, whether it's your kids, whether it's your friends, right? And then you don't, instead of reminding yourself who you are and who you aren't, you start to remind yourself of others and who they are and feeling bad about yourself or insecure or not good enough or not, all right, or then, and then you're constantly competing and you're jealous and it's full of uh, thoughts of fear and insecurity and anxiety and you cannot find peace or joy in any capacity. And then instead of responding with your calling, you create your own in your career, in your job, and how many kids you have, in the car you drive, in the words that you say socially, right? In the, the things that you captivate yourself with that you believe will give you eternal life that will not. And, and what it's going to do and what John is saying is the wrath remains on you. The wrath is not coming. The wrath is now, and it is, it is on you. In this moment, if you are not choosing in belief of Jesus, you are in darkness, and those things will eat you up. And then this little thing called social media... You just, you just set your little uh, bakery item in that oven, and what happens? My gosh, you're just consumed by it. And before you know it, you're more anxious, depressed, more worried than you can ever imagine. You're more worried about relationships with people and what they're thinking, and you're just living in a constant state of fear, and it's exhausting. And so John, his life did not end physically well, but I promise you his joy was complete. And so for us, I just I want you to engage in that, even if it's terrifying, and hope that uh, you'll be able to just sense the trust in, in giving the Spirit over to this process. So we're going to give you a little bit of time to do all those four things, uh, or any of the four things, and then we're going to close in two more songs. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.